Hello, my friends and family and my little munchkins. Uh, welcome to the podcast. I hope you're well. And I can't believe I fucking started off by saying munchkins. Anyhow, um, it's nice that I, um, I'm aware of this. Next thing I'm going to say, uh, because I feel sometimes we get bottled into the same five things that we keep talking about in different ways. And we kind of try to convince ourselves that, oh, we are really expanding and broadening our minds and trying to understand the context that we are existing in. But it kind of, it always goes back and comes around to the same three, four things like we end up talking about, you know, whether it's it's fulfillment, whether it's, it's, it's consumption and materialism. And they have different words for these concepts. But it's, it's, if you actually look at it, we we make things that are pretty much two or three things in our lives much more attractive and much more exaggerated by giving it different things. Like just the idea of being, um, you know, a person who's healthy, we give it things like fitness, uh, nutrition, uh, lifestyle, um, peace, my, I mean, mental health, all these various things. But actually, just say, I'm, I want to be healthy. And you do whatever it takes to be that state that you want to be in. But we complicate it. I know some people might need it, but might might need to break it down to be one of, I'm, I'm one of those people who likes making a list. You know, that you have these people who come and say that thing to you, the fucking idiot. I'm, I'm one of those people who likes to plan. I'm one of those people who likes making a list, a to-do list, a to-do list. Like, fuck off. You know what I mean? But I don't know. If, if, if you make it a broader brushstroke, would it be easier? Like, I want to be healthy. And then figure out whatever it is. You don't have to go around talking. I feel, yeah, there's a lot of talking going around. And, and it's probably not the best place to say that and bring it to your attention because there's a talking. It's an audio platform. <laughs> but there is a un, an unnecessary amount of bandwidth being spent on breaking down your, your life into too many kinds of uh, things. And as a result, get kind of overwhelmed by it and make it complex and then get confused by the complexity that you have created for yourself as a result, causing more uh, complication. Weird. Because for instance, like anything, right? Work, you make it down into like work, skills, uh, experience, what do you call that? Then, then goal setting and then efficiency and then relatability, relevance, improving. It just... Work, man. Fucking do whatever it takes to work. Uh, uh, with, with all aspects, man, I feel... Uh, I wanted to sort of approach this episode without an idea in my head because I wanted to see if I can get out of that way of thinking and not give you guys the same shit in different fucking wo- uh, ways. Uh, but uh, there are things that I do as well which are wrong and it happens as a result of being too immersed in a certain way or being too immersed in your own head or being too stuck in a certain part or phase or place in your life. So it's strange that um, that happens. But it's not really that strange, is it? Um, very, We think of ourselves as multi, multi-dimensional, multifaceted individuals, but we're actually quite easy, boring and uh, unidimensional in that way. We don't have to be, but we end up being that because it's easy to have the perception that we're all connected and we're the most uh, well-informed and we're the most exposed to the best knowledge out there. Uh, but 
it's at the same time so easy to get stuck in the bucket because you are in that little bucket that you've created for yourself and you don't want to look outside because you think that you're selling yourself this lie that you are so connected and you're so much a person of the world but you're really not yeah ah, it's good good to know good to know anyhow i'm going to get you on to my guest today because i've got a lovely conversation lined up with Mr. Stephen C. Hayes. He's been a psychologist. He's been in his field for over uh, 40 years. In fact, maybe closing on 50 years. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think he's between 40 and 50 years. That's how long he spent in this field. He's written some amazing papers. If you are a psychologist or someone in that field, you can actually check out his papers. But he's written a book, a book which actually um, became one of the bestsellers and still is referred to uh, widely. It's called Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life or Get Out of Your Head into your, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life. You should check it out doc, uh, by Stephen C. Hayes. We had a really enjoyable conversation about how these um, issues like mental health and uh, depression, anxiety are such broad concepts that are imposed to, onto people uh, without understanding the nuance that each individual might have some form of it, but not necessarily the larger concept. And Stephen talks uh, to me about how to break these down uh, into these unique set of situations that an individual experiences and how principles can be adopted and adapted to by an individual as opposed to looking at a larger institutional approach to these things and he's done a fantastic amount of work in this field uh, and I also asked him how we can navigate these new landscapes that are coming up as a result of technology of virtual reality of social uh, online um, reality online social uh, platforms and how this is going to impact the way we interact as human beings and how we cope as human beings with ourselves and these various coping mechanisms that are coming up. Uh, all in all, fantastic human being, fantastic conversation, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it as well. Uh, so let me not keep delay you and keep you with my own musings because I've got someone who's actually talking about the stuff because he knows about it. Well, here we go. Conversation with Stephen C. Hayes coming up right now. As always, I appreciate you listening to this podcast. Till next time, goodbye, God bless, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Stephen Hayes, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to be here with you. Looking forward to it. Lovely. So, you know, it's... I don't know where to start actually because you're, you you've spent so many years in this space of psychology and understanding the mind. So maybe let's talk about the mind because <laughs> it's um, you know when 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 we when um, you know Eastern philosophy looks at uh, consciousness and when there's a spiritual journey which someone seeks, there it starts with um, the I wouldn't say the basics, but the approach to it is start with mindfulness and meditation. And yeah. it seems like a lot of the Western sciences now have caught on to this same, uh, the, these two concepts. Uh, sure. So maybe from, you know, because you have this um, thing you've developed, which is the acceptance commitment therapy. So can you talk about what, what your approach or rather the way you use these two things, which or this one thing, which is mindfulness in dealing with uh, understanding a lot of the human experience. 
Well, you know, I've been very cautious about actually talking about and going there for good reasons. I'm uh, you're looking at an old hippie. My I wasn't always bald. I had hair down to halfway down the, my back, and my generation, you know, at the in the West, got into all oh, people like Suzuki and Watts and and all of that. You know, mm-hmm. the kind of hippy dippy versions of these things. I lived for a while even on a religious commune there mm. to build a house for a friend who was a member, uh, but it was a Hindu uh, commune. And I uh, came to be quite cautious about mindfulness, qua mindfulness with a capital M in terms of what is it and so forth, because of so many different traditions and people are fighting over it. And I'm a psychologist and I'm, you know, I grew up in... Uh, San Diego, what would I know? You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. but what I've done is to try to unpack the human mind enough that we can deal seriously with a question like, why is it so hard to be human? And when you do that, you arrive at places, uh, the way I describe it, it's like you're walking through a pass and you come out to a, a clearing and you think you found some stuff out and you know you definitely have done some things that are helpful, but also maybe some things that give a new or different look at what the mind is. And what do you find in the clearing? Well, there's monks over there, you know, there's meditators over there, and they've been there for a thousand years. You know, you kind of go like, oh, well, that's interesting. So I've uh, talked about it some, but here's what the short answer to your question is. I think there's a set of processes that are we've been working on as a human species for a long time as to how to rein in the biggest invention of our species, which is relational learning, symbolic learning, language and cognition, what you and I are doing right now. Mm-hmm. And it's a thousand times older than the way the other ways that, not, that non-human animals learn. Mm-hmm. Probably about a thousand times older. It could be several hundred times at least. And there's a clash between these systems because you can easily, easily apply symbolic learning to solving problems etc that's great it's wonderful look at what you and i are doing right now we're talking across how many thousands of miles in real time oh my and you know even 20 years ago couldn't have done it yeah it's just amazing the whole world is connected it's amazing yeah, yeah. that same repertoire that same set of skills will turn on its host and say deep down there's something wrong with you and by the way you're going to die and everything that's important is going to go away and what does life mean anyway and you know you're rejected by your spouse who cheated on you you know with your brother and what does that mean i mean what mindfulness skills i think look at and what the wisdom traditions not just in the east it's everywhere they all try to rein in analytic judgmental language whether it's you know the Christian mystics or the Jewish Kabbalah or the Sufis or you name it, they're all trying to mess around with it one way or another. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you have these clash of systems and you now are miserable because you've turned your life into a problem to be solved instead of a process to be experienced, lived, and um, uh, I might say enjoyed, but I don't mean that in a happy, happy, joy, joy way, but mm-hmm. I mean it, a life to be participated in fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and those sets of skills uh that we're talking about with mindfulness. Now meditation is a mean to my my way of thinking is a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. And what is the end? I think it's a set of skills. 
which I would say are attentional flexibility, emotional openness, cognitive flexibility, and the one that some Eastern traditions don't like, but I think is important from this witnessing, noticing, ineffable, I hear now sense of self that connects us in consciousness to others from this more spiritual part of you, mm-hmm. you know, without turning into a thing from the human being behind your eyes, um, but not that that you can categorize and look at, but the fromness of awareness. It's hard even to talk about that part, big mind, one mind, no mind, you know, mm-hmm. Eastern mm-hmm. folks talk about it, but denying that they're talking about it, but they still talk about it. <laughs> Because um, there's no it. That's why you don't, can't talk about it. Because it has no edges. It doesn't come and go. It's just here. Yeah. Um, well, those things turns out, and I'm sitting on a thousand randomized trials of ACT and a couple of more thousand studies on processes. Those four things I just said, whether you use the M word or not, are massively important to people in every area of your life that you can name. So you better acquire it one way or the other. Meditation's a good way and not the only way. Mm. Traditional contemplative practice. Um, I mean, psychedelics, things happen in that. Some of those are really, really clear. Same parts of the brain light up, blah, blah, blah. Really clearly related to what we're calling mindfulness, etc. So I think it's important. And I came to the clearing in a different way. I didn't come there because I was uh, part of a wisdom tradition, although I had some minimal exposure mm-hmm. um, just by the fact of my age and what was popular in my culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you Did know that. The, no, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, as I, as I told you before we started recording, I'm, I'm, I'm new. I, by, by no means am I, am I an expert, but I've been oh, reading up a little bit. Uh, especially, you know, when it comes to certain books on the mind or when it comes to certain, uh, listening to certain lectures from, you know, uh, teachers from across um, schools. Um, And you keep hearing similar or some words that repeat themselves, right? Whether it's ego, whether it's it's the self and the true self and consciousness and a connection and... But... I'm just trying to put what you said into a sort of thing because many times it's easy or rather it's um, very natural for us being raised in a certain uh, value system to kind of make everything yeah. logical and analyze it in rational terms, right? Like um, yeah. make it make sense of it like an achievement, achievement-based system like, oh, I've read 30 books on meditation. I should know more about yeah. someone who's read two books or for instance, I used to sit for one minute. Now I can sit for 10 minutes. And we kind of make sense of it in that context when you might not even be able to stay still or have, um, you know, um, a calm mind or a balanced mind for more yeah. than one second. So um, I just want to understand because, you know, from even someone who's being going for therapy and who's... Uh, you know, gone through the cognitive behavioral therapy where someone's like, you know, uh, fantasy building or what if scenarios and 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 to 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 this, so kind of exposure to both schools or both um, ideologies, if you want to call it. I want to just sort of come back a few steps and understand the society we live in, which of course, you know, you live in in, in the U.S. and I live in India, and a lot of um, 
differences were there in the past but if you look at it now there are attempts or rather there are people adopting certain practices which make the two societies look a little similar and you have common problems if you want to call it or common expectations from the people who live in these societies whether it's a better life it's a more material life it's a it's it's a and and then the problems that come with that where you have people who are uh, as you said who are who are just disillusioned after all the work they've put in or they just have this suffering which is getting worse then you have mental health issues as a result then you have dependence on um various kinds of drugs so is that uh, because you know if you some people might say oh india was such a rich country when it came to the wisdom uh, the, the the wisdom practices when you look 5000 years ago so why is it led to this so i don't know if i have a question but is it a conscious effort by a few to um lead people down this path and as a result have a mind that's con- constantly distracted and pursuing these um if you want to call it earthly goals oh wow i think so isn't it well but maybe not just of a few i mean there's a system that we're part of there's a cultural system that we're part of and there are many strands coming together mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You know, one of the cool things about, I mean, the, the wing that I come out, I'm trying to do experimental behavioral science. I, you know, uh, I'm not saying that's the path that other people should follow in their mm-hmm. own lives. But the output of that, if it's done well, is that you can give people concepts, tools, methods, etc., that they can apply in their own lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's pretty good evidence for that, is that at its best, science and this wing of science which is one of the weaker sciences let's be honest but mm-hmm. still making some progress mm-hmm. can give people some tools that apply but we're doing it inside a larger cultural context and the cultural context has evolved good bad and different as well on the one hand we're doing spectacularly well on violence starvation etc if you look over a thousand year arc or a hundred mm-hmm. year or 500 year we're doing better now than we ever have ever ever mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, it doesn't feel like it because we're constantly being exposed to everything horrible. We've got computers in our pocket that will show us if somebody does something ridiculously horrible anywhere in the world within minutes, maybe even live stream it. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, we are living out a, a culture, an evolving culture that contains within it ways of thinking about human beings that serve lots of interests mm-hmm. let me give you one this is one that i'm on to right now really digging into okay in the english language the word normal was hardly ever used until the civil war mm. it's just almost impossible to believe that because you can't sit at a kitchen table and talk about life without talking about average usual typical and normal you, you're talking about your little kid his advance in advanced class or not or the test that your uncle took that will allow them to sit for an exam that will allow them to get that job or i mean all these kinds of ways we measure ourselves and try to push ourselves hopefully to the ends of a distribution because we'll be better than others and then we can succeed and people will pick us and the one is for the jobs and like that and of course that means others are on the low end of that stick mm. right well, the that concept was originally driven by eugenics. Mm. 
the statisticians who came up with it were the originators of eugenics. Let's figure out who should be allowed to have children. Why? Because then we can do better as a human society because we won't have all of these criminals, mentally ill people, etc. And they shouldn't be allowed to have any children. Mm. And then we saw where that went. Yeah. You know, and the, but, you know, the, the U.S. hands are so dirty. It didn't go directly from Francis Galton or the U.K. statisticians, Ari Fisher, Carl Pearson. If you took any kind of a high school stats class, you learned about Pearson's correlation or things like that that came from these folks who were all eugenicists. No, it went to the U.S. that wrote the laws to sterilize and then it went to Germany, and then we saw where it ended up. Well, now nobody talks about it. Yeah, but the concepts came from that era. When you say, well, normally, or any, you just watch, how many of your conversations have something to do with how special you are or how problematic you are on a normal distribution? I mean, you really can almost not, but you know, understand those concepts were to put into our human culture. Well, now, okay, so you look at what's happening with the upheaval with the young who don't want it. They don't want gender noun pronouns the way mm. they don't want to be told what their sexual orientations are. They don't want to belong to religions in the same way, at least in the, the fastest worldwide religious affiliation is none of the above. And, and it's because normal is breaking down. Just open your eyes and look around. The kids don't want it. Well, why? Because... They've got that computer in their pocket that lets them have their music stream, not radio. They can have their news stream, not a, a channel to look at. They can pick their own clothes. They can pick their friends. You know, my 17-year-old up right above me here is going to have a Minecraft uh, game probably this week with people with or all around the world simultaneously. And he knows what time zone it is in India. Mm -hmm. If I quick ran up there, so what time is it in India? My, my son would know. <laughs> Because that's the world he lives in. He lives in a, in a worldwide, it's up to me, I can have it my way. Now, here's where I'm going with that, is I'm, I'm saying, when you pick something, like you mentioned mental health, what is that? You know, you're probably almost meaning mental illness. You probably mean the categories everybody's being taught. Oh, depression, oh, panic, oh, whatever. Mm. Yeah, those are these normative categories that came out of that era, those statistics. But it doesn't describe individual human lives. When you say, uh, oh, I have major depression, and therefore I need this. Mm. Yeah. So a big study recently of major depression with 3,700 people, there was almost 1,100 different combinations of signs and symptoms out of 3,700 people. And almost half of the people had a combination that only one one hundredth of a percent shared with them. I mean, in other words, we have these categories that don't really describe people that we've been using to shove people in so that we can shove products on top of them. You know, it's not by accident that what I'm mentioning about mental illness is a $1.4 trillion industry that is only too happy to solve your problems once you're shoved in one of those cubby holes. Yeah, And you can guess which one it is. So I do think the in worldwide interest in mindfulness, for example, is because the world has moved to a place where we need principles that empower people. We don't really need more 
concepts to categorize people. We just don't, especially after these years of COVID. It's not one out of five who has a mental health disorder. No, it's five out of five of us who are stretched and strained by what happened over the last two years. Everybody, everybody knows it's hard to be human. Well, what are you going to do to empower your life? And you look around and the wisdom tradition's got some pretty darn good answers. And the science gets in there and says, by golly, not bad answers. Now, I like the vision that says, and let's figure out how to really dial in so that we can get it to, you know, a person working in a factory who's not going to do a 10-day silent retreat ever in their life. Mm. Or, you know, reach the person who's sweeping up the street. Or, you know, I'm an, can we can we find a way to talk about the mind and how it can how you can liberate your mind or uh, open up these processes in a way that empower you don't just categorize you but applies to as many situations and as many people and as many circumstances as we possibly can and i think we can and mindfulness is a good start it's not the whole of it and uh at its worst, it does one thing in the West. This is really kind of pathetic, but we actually have the data on this showing that there are some folks who develop mindfulness skills and become more selfish. Yeah. Yeah, because in the West, we've disconnected it from the wisdom tradition, and the monk would have hit you over the head and make you, you know, do the dishes in the ashram. And if you yeah. they picked up that that's what you were doing, but here, you know, we can go to our, our salon or, you know, and uh, you know, meditate, or, you know, and come home and say, you you take care of the kids, I got to go meditate. And um, so we now have selfish mindfulness. You know, it, it took the ideas of the West to create such a thing. Right? But, uh, and guess what, it doesn't work as well, it doesn't work as well. So I read somewhere that someone uh, I read somewhere that it said mindfulness doesn't end on the yoga mat. You know, you got to apply yeah. it. <laughs> you know what you said is brilliant because it's about the principles to empower people. Because in and this is something I've been observing, and whether you know, it's it's so easy to categorize them versus us, right? And you mentioned about the the the, the youngsters now, and I love the idea of how normal these words normal or um, acceptable behavior these standards have been set and if you don't meet those standards either you're better than the standard or you're worse than the standard and your entire focus becomes becoming that standard and you know when uh, you know automatically when you look at a person who's um, missing a sense like in my case my, my eye condition automatically you're on the back foot so everything you have to do is to get even to to get on par so let's say normal is zero i in according to the, the premise that you know has been taught to someone like me or people from uh, a certain generation like me is that you have to work that much harder to even get to zero then we'll see where to take you you know and these categories are so uh so what, so what you mentioned is these the this generation of children who are breaking out with social media getting non-binary or the uh, no yeah. the, the, their own pronouns so it it is a good thing uh, I have a couple of things to sort of address there because the, I think one thing which before we get to that generation of children is this mindfulness thing is the problem sometimes is the two things, right? One is the smugness. Some people who go down this path of mindfulness, like there's, there's the idea that I'm better than you. And yeah. as a result, you know, we look at people or not we maybe, but generally like, oh, you know, look at the 
look at the peasants, the masses, they're not able to focus on spiritual understanding and awakening. <laughs> but the other side is, you, I, I feel this, and maybe this connects to this generation of children or teenagers or young adults who are accord, I mean, supposedly all plagued by mental illness. But I want to talk about this idea of um, why is it happening that, I mean, you mentioned about easy to, you know, put people, put concepts and categorize people. But what happens when you tell someone or uh, someone feels like, oh, I have a problem, so I need help, right? Which is a good way to address a problem when you get help. But is that in itself becoming a sickness where people want to have a problem so they feel that they can get more attention or get more um, recognition for that? If we mishandle it, that's where we're going to end up. And there are some indications that's where we're going to end up. And then out of good heart, you know, we start uh, building in accommodations for the categories. Mm. And in places where that has really been pushed, I'll give you an example. Let's say I have pain. I have chronic pain. Well, there were folks who said out, out of goodness of, of heart, you know, if that shouldn't ever be able to be checked. If you say you're in pain, you're in pain. Mm. Well, go to Scandinavia and look at what happened. You know, there was an explosion of chronic pain because the they passed these very kind laws that said if if you'll just say those magic words, you know, you will you can literally get lifetime disability. Mm. Um it's they're rolling it back now because they were paying something, some ridiculous percent of their GDP uh, you know, on disability claims that just went for life you know and it, mm. and it was very hard to check because it wasn't uh you know that i could look and see the break in your arm you know nobody if you say you're in pain there is no medical test that can prove you can't question it yeah 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 you can't question it and you know here in the u.s we then also got to, to just to double down on that oh we'll solve the pain we'll just lo load it up with opiates that's now the prescription pandemic right prescription yeah pandemic. because you know, yes, you can treat acute pain with opiates, but you can't treat chronic pain with opiates and acute pain even with opiates. Your body responds to it, and within just a few doses, it raises your pain, rather lowers your pain threshold because your body's basically aware of, oh my goodness, I can't feel anything, and it becomes more sensitive. So you have this race to the bottom where your body is adjusting to the opiates by making you more and more sensitive. So you're pushing up the opiates to overwhelm what your bodily uh systems and here in the u.s i mean literally on commercial television where people are paying you know to give commercials and in the u.s we are one of only two countries i think that is unwise enough to allow free reign of commercials for prescription medications new zealand and, I, and the u.s i think are the only two that do that well there's lots of commercials out there for the medications that treat the constipation from constantly using opiates so you think about what percentage of the population just sitting down to watch television must be using opiates at such a high level that you can't poop anymore. Wow. That you know, is oh, my scary. God. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So uh, what I'm saying there is uh, I, I started off with these kind of accommodations and adjustments. Mm. We want to recognize and empower everybody. We shouldn't be thinking of it just as name that category and then here's the accommodations it should be something more like 
what do we know about how to help you succeed and you succeed and you succeed and you succeed? Mm. Everybody's in. Every voice matters. Nobody's a, an error term. Nobody's to be mushed into a big group and treated as if they're just a number. When you do that, you know, then you look at our systems of care, our education systems, our how we deal with workers and so forth. And in area after area after area, we say, uh, excuse me, we got a problem. Mm. We got a problem because human beings are often being treated by educational systems, healthcare systems, work environments as if they're expendable and they're just cogs in a machine and then you pay the price for it. So, yeah, I think we may have gone too far where the categories have become the problem. But that doesn't mean, don't hear me to be saying, that the categories don't refer to something where somebody does need something. Mm -hmm. But it's, it can be very individualized. I'll give you an example. A person's hearing voices. No. Oh, they must be psychotic, right? Oh, they must be on antipsychotic medicine. Well... You know, it turns out if you ask a large population the right questions where it's and, and it's anonymous and unstigmatizing, there's probably people in your work environment that are hearing voices and you just don't know it. They don't talk about it mm. because they know how stigmatizing mm. it is. And that doesn't mean it's not to be dealt with. I mean, sometimes command hallucinations telling you to do un, you know really unhelpful things is a bad thing. A lot of voices are actually helpful to people. They learn how to sort of accommodate themselves to it and in native societies before the western medicine came in you know people were sometimes given special roles in the community they were called mystics or seers mm -hmm. or you know so i'm a little bit uh, uh, scattered in my answer but i'm just saying i think the journey we're on at, as a human culture is how to learn to accommodate diversity and empower people uh, towards what they really want. And and I think what's breaking down is this one size fits all. You're in the category, whether you like it or not, and we're going to tell you what to do. Mm. We're going to tell, you know, but here in the U.S., uh, for example, we can still take voice hearers and force them to take medications. I think that's not going to last much longer. Yeah. Um, I, I think we easily categorize students and uh, workers and so forth in ways. Uh, take uh, uh, some uh, an outfit like um, oh Google. Google made has made a lot of progress by hiring people who are really good at the tasks they need instead of just hiring Harvard MBAs. Mm. And that was a break. They weren't always like that. They made a break and they said mm. we're gonna. And in fact, it touches some folks in India. They've got some really interesting ways of bringing in engineers and others from India to, to work for them who are spectacularly good at what they do at software engineering, let's say, mm. and without having to worry about your, you know, your pedigree or whether you went to an Ivy League school or some mm. sort of carry on like that. That's a shift in perspective where we start hiring for skills and, and ambition and following through and cooperation and abilities and how you fit with the team. And less as a matter of, you know, did you get the anointing from some la-di-da school or you can claim I'm Mr. Smart in every area where a concept like intelligence, it isn't just one thing. There's all these skills and you're bad at some things, even if your IQ is really quite high. 
you're good at lots of things and you're bad at some things as well. What do people need? That way of thinking will give the autistic spectrum disorder person a job. Will give the even a, the Down syndrome person a job, you know, as a greeter at a grocery store. I mean, you everybody has some role. And we used to be like that as a human population. We found a way in our communities before we industrialized where odd ducks had a role or, you know, different people had different roles. And I think we're fighting our way back to that. And I uh, hope we are because every voice matters, every human matters. Yeah, you know, that's such a powerful uh, thought to take forward because otherwise it feels hopeless, right? Like everyone wants to be Elon Musk or everyone wants to be yeah. the next uh, Bill Gates or the the next version. And as a result, you kind of come from the premise saying, I'm not good enough or I can't. And as a result, your uh, mind latches onto that thought and it's never going to uh, help you get out of your situation because you're not looking at yourself and what you can bring to the table, but it's always from the scarcity mindset going, I'm never going to be good enough. And Thanks. You know, what you mentioned was so, so important because, you know, someone like say five years back, six years back, I started having these really bad panic attacks and automatically you feel, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Why is this happening to me? You know, it's something, there must be something, uh, I must be ill. And, and, and automatically it was like a sickness that needed to be treated when, while that might've been the case for some people. But when I look back now, I'm like, you know, maybe those were indications by the mind to make certain changes. And fortunately, or, um, you know, I had the time and the resources to spend time with myself and sort of try to understand what these, these things are. And yeah, fortunately, I was able to put in time with, you know, un trying to understand what mindfulness practices are working for me, uh, what sort of career uh, activities aren't good for me. And it was more of an internal journey. And just sort of using myself as an example for people listening is I was able to because I had the motivation, the resources and the time to do that. But if I tell someone else uh, these things, they might say, you know, who has the time? I need money to live. I need money to take care of my family. I need to work. I need to get and I don't have time to be anxious. Give me a medicine. Take it away. So how and, and, and as you said, there's, it's, such, it's such a nice thing to hear that it's not one kind of diagnosis right you just you can't just say depression or schizophrenia or anxiety it's a bit of things that manifest in a, per, in a person's mind in a person's life it could be a combination of a lit and anxious being anxious is everyone has it and um you know everyone does have certain mood swings if you want to call it depression or sadness or different terms but i don't want to go down that space because i'm it it, it is very sort of gray but um from what you've said is that it's principles to empower a person but very often at least from the conversations i've had people don't have the they, they would say as an argument is i don't have the time to uh, or rather who has the time to sit and spend time with their thoughts and to understand where they come from and to look within because it's easy to just say you know what i have this problem help me or that person's causing this problem i'm going to blame them and um Someone listening right now um, who's been taught all these values of a right way to live or a right target to achieve or a right uh, goal to head towards, um, what would you, I wouldn't say, you know, advise them, but w what would you... Well, here, here's, of, yeah. one 
Here's one thing that we've learned, and you're talking you're talking to a person who's a panic disordered person in recovery. Okay. My whole body of work comes out of my own panic disorder. Mm-hmm. And thank God for it, you know, because without it, uh, you know, I was trying to turn myself into a machine that would just turn out research and would be very, very successful. Mm-hmm. And I can be kind to the little boy within, you know, that thought that's the only way I'm going to belong. That's the only way I'm going to you know, be part of the group. It's the only way I'm going to make a difference. I tell some of this story in my TEDx talk. I have mm-hmm. two of them, but mm-hmm. the first one uh, is all about my personal history and kind of how that happened. And so I'm very glad to hear that I'm here with an anxiety uh, a familiar person. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, fellow travelers, you learn things from that. Mm-hmm. It humanizes you. It softens you. Now, if we could create a culture, what if we could create a culture? Where in our workplaces, in our schools, in our, our churches, in our neighborhood meetings, uh, we were working on the these, I call them psychological flexibility skills, mm. that we know account for the lion's share of personal development, and when they're mishandled for the lion's share of mental and behavioral health problems, and also problems in social wellness and things like, uh, you know, being able to have good relationships or to avoid getting entangled with prejudice towards others or uh, 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 being able to be a better performer. I mean, it's not like we don't know anything about how these things happen. We do. And it turns out it's a one of the things that I'm proud of and what the, what the ACT work has been about is fighting its way down to the smallest set of skills that do the most things in the most areas. And there's only six things that are really important. And then they, that that are, and I, that's an empirical statement. It's not just Mm -hmm. uh, an opinion. I I can share why I say that. And their extension to your social relationships. And by the way, taking care of your health. The six things are learning to be more emotionally open, cognitively flexible, to be able to come into the present moment with attention that's flexible, fluid, and voluntary, and come into the now, broadener, narrow, shifter stay, and to do it from this sense of self that is not the analyzed, conceptualized, do look at me, I'm so great and grand, or I'm so low, I'm so pathetic, conceptualized self, this ego-based self, but more the ineffable spiritual mm-hmm. self mm-hmm. that connects mm-hmm. you in consciousness to others. And meaning by choice what do you really care about what are the qualities of being of being and doing that you want to put into your life into your behavior into what you do and how do you build habits around that you take those six things and you you can simplify it i'll say it the first two were ways to be more open the next two were ways to be more aware the next two would be ways to be more actively engaged in a life worth living I can use one word instead of three. I could just say learning how to be more psychologically flexible and then extend that. So, for example, your emotional openness would include compassion towards others. Mm. Your cognitive Mm. flexibility would mean being able to have genuine conversations with others where you listen, you don't just speak, uh, where you understand the opinions of others. Your values would be joint values. Your commitment to habits would be commitments to social values that are important in your group, your family. Your, your your work, your, your your city, the world. So when you take those things I just said, and you, I did recently did a study, I looked at every randomized trial ever done in the history of the world for anything that changed mental health. 
where they had done the proper statistical way. It's called mediational analysis. It's geeky. You don't need to know how it's done, but <laughs> it's agreed. This is the best way to know that this is the path we have changed. If you have a method that works in a randomized trial, so it's controlled, it was helpful for mental health, and we know why. Mm. We know the pathway. Mm. I look at every 55,000 studies, took three years to do it, 60 of us to score every single one twice. And I can tell you that what I just said, without any stretch, will account for 55% of everything we know. Mm. And if I stretch a little bit, just a little bit, um, which is not much, I mean, you start adding things like self-compassion and so forth, it goes up to 70, 80%. So I'm sitting here saying, what I'm saying, the, the last few minutes where I just said, you need to learn these things. Mm. I'm sitting here to tell you, you need to learn these things. I don't care if you call it ACT. I don't care if you call it, you know, Uncle Fred the Wonder Slug. I mean, it doesn't matter where you learn it. Yeah. It doesn't matter who teaches it to you. I mean, we know the best of psychedelic therapy, the best of cognitive therapy, the best of psychoanalytic therapy, the best of scheme. All these things move those processes. Yeah. And you know it. How do I know that you know it? Let me give you an example. I asked a whole bunch of people. Show me with your body. This I say, pick an issue that's really hard for you psychologically. And I said, show me with your body, you at your worst. But don't tell me what the issue is when dealing with that. And then we took a picture. Now show me with your body like you would if your, your body was a sculpture and you're the artist. You at your best when dealing with that exact same issue. Then I brought in naive raiders and I said, here's what I want you to do. We'd, we put them all together. I didn't tell them there were two pictures per person, but there were. Them at their best, them at their worst. I said, rate how open or closed that person is. Rate with a little slider. Rate how aware or unaware that person is. Rate how actively engaged or disengaged that person is. Naive raters could rate those things at the same level as we get with trained raters on the best scales known in all of psychology. In other words, everybody walking on the street can notice when you're walking around, for example, with your head down, you know, your shoulders hunched over, looking at the, you know, when you're in one of those spaces where you're showing with your body, I'm closed off, I'm not aware, you know, I can't even see you, I'm looking at the ground. Well, and furthermore, 95% of all the people where we took two pictures showed with their bodies more open, aware, and actively engaged postures at their best as a metaphor, a physical metaphor for you at your best, mm. then you at your worst. What does that tell me? Everybody knows what a thousand randomized trials, what 55,000 studies on processes of change show. What Western, I don't say, say Western, that's not fair. What experimental science shows about how change happens. So but inherently, problem, we know what it's like. I mean, the body's designed. We know designed. what it's like. We know it in our guts. Mm. We know it from our best of our culture. It's in every wisdom tradition and spiritual tradition. It's in every good artist. It's in every, you know, you name the, the great novels, the great movies. They almost all have these same processes in there. Mm. You know, a challenge showed up. I said, who, me? I'm this love. How? You know, like, uh, I'm thinking of Lord of the Rings, but it's not just that. Pick any of them. Who, me? I mean, you know, yeah. uh, 
And it's okay, I'll try. But then you have these fears you have to face and you have these thoughts, I'm not good enough. And somehow or another with your friends, but with the changed sense of self, mm-hmm. you know, Yoda says, he says, what am I going to find in there? He says, you're going to find yourself. He said, well, I'm not scared of that. And he says, you will be. <laughs> you know, you walk in, you see yourself, and you find a new sense of self that is willing to carry your own history and what's hard about it. Yeah? Focus on your values. Get your friends. Get it all together. Get the golden fleece. Throw the ring in the crack of doom. You know, defeat Darth Vader. And then... You know, Harry Potter shows his kids off to Hogwarts for the next generation by those committed actions you made. The hero's journey, the things we lucked up to, the heroes you pick. You know, who are your heroes? Um, You're going to pick a hero who, you know, who shows these same processes. So here's my my answer. I'll, I'll, I know I'm going long, but sorry. no, no. I wanted to just because you mentioned Harry Potter, I didn't want to bring it up unnecessarily. But what is interesting there is when he ends up. Um, I'm, I don't want to say a spoiler alert because I'm assuming everyone's listening right now has watched or read the Potter book. In the end, when he kills Voldemort, he has to make peace with the fact that he might end up killing himself, which I think yeah. is so powerful. Or rather, when he decides that Voldemort's going to kill him because that's the only way he can let his friends live, is he has to realize that he has to die. It's Is, is that almost a metaphor for... It is. Killing, for letting go of the way you know how to live, which is this construct, this, this ego-based yeah. living. But... Uh, while we're there, can, I just find it fascinating. Sorry for interrupting. But it's this know. idea of how does someone, because all these things you've said are brilliant, right? Cognitive flexibility. You need to have this thing that, okay, I don't know everything. I'm going to listen and shut my mouth for a few minutes because it is good and not just um, polite, but it's good for you to listen to have these inputs that aren't uh, going with the grain of how you view the world or how you think about things or how you break down certain experiences. Or say, for instance, emotional openness or the other things that you mentioned is developing good habits uh, or rather being um, to understand what you want or the choices that are important and developing habits around it. These are things that aren't... um, you know, it, I feel it shouldn't be just in a session of therapy or someone who's just read the right books, but everyone should be um, open to this. But um, why? Well, and it, that's the solution, I think, to what you're saying. Where's the time? How people, people, you know, I don't have time to take off for therapy. I don't have the money. I don't. I can't do it. Yeah, I can't go for vipassana for ten yeah, days. It's impossible. Can, we, yeah. can yeah. we put in culture those skills? Can we put them in the schools and the churches and in the workplaces and so forth? Why? Because mm. it turns out these processes, this hero's journey that you're invited on. Uh, are, need to be learned anyway, and are going to be learned anyway. And you already know they're important. You can show them with your body without any training. If I asked you to pick a hero or a guide who could really help you, you'd pick somebody who is who had empowered you. You'd pick somebody who was accepting of who you are, wasn't really heavily judgmental, who when you were together, you were together. They weren't looking at their watch waiting for you to get the hell out the, the room. When your eyes met, you would be connected in consciousness. Your values would care for that, would be important to that person. They wouldn't write over your values. You wouldn't have picked them. Mm. And you could be together in ways that fit the opportunities of the situation. Those are the same six things I just named earlier. Mm. So you know it by who lifts you up. You know it by your experience. You know it by your best artists. You know, the reason why we love these stories 
And you know, you talked about, you know, even facing death in the service of, that's a metaphor for letting go of this ego-based self that will scream at you, you're going to die if you let go of the clown suit you're clinging to so that you'll be included in the group because I'm I'm so great and grand and I'll make your group better again. We'll sell baseball caps or because I'm so, help me, help me. I'm so weak. Let me in, let me in. Either way is nonsense. You're a whole human being. Let's bring it. You know, let's bring what you can bring and let, well, so that's the hero's journey we're all on and we're all living the harry potter story in our own little way and i don't know why we have to think of that as therapy for mental illness you know look at what lifts people up and put it into their heads and their hearts and their hands and we know something about how to do that so you know whether it's a book or an app or a, or a class at school you know i i'm on a rant but here no, please in, go on. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> in, the Bay, some of, in, in some of these things, um, children with emotional disabilities or who are on the spectrum, autistic spectrum disorder, who are of intellectual disabilities, you know, some schools uh, have classes to help people with that. We've taken some of what I'm talking about and put those classes into schools. Mm-hmm. And what happens mm-hmm. is, the kids get so lifted up, then next thing you know, the the principals want all the kids to be in that class. And there's some schools that have actually done that. And then what happens? The whole achievement level of the school goes up. Because the uh, I can show you the trials that show this. Their IQs literally go up. There's you know, their ability to study it. I don't want to sound Pollyanna-ish. I'm you know, I make violins play. It's not a you know a panacea. Yeah. yeah but yeah. The time to learn the processes that will liberate you is now. And life will teach it to you anyway. And if you look at like older people, I'm old enough to say, you know, those who actually become wise, and we look to old people for wisdom for good reason, they all show these processes as well. Don't smell. They talk about it different ways. Don't sweat the small stuff, things like that. The little homily, little kind of things that, Elderly people will say, that's right, but you could put it in there in a, in a first grade classroom. It doesn't mean that they're going to, in the same way and that they're going to therefore have lifelong flexibility. No, yeah. you keep visiting it, visiting it, visiting it. And I worry about it, what we're doing now as our spiritual and religious traditions weaken, people stop going to churches and so forth. Okay, fine. Well, then put it somewhere else. Don't just eliminate a big source of cultural wisdom and say, we're going to do fine without it and just rely on commercial interests and their uh, sweet interest in our pocketbooks to <laughs> take care of us, you know, or our eyeballs so they can milk them for money. You know, if they're, they're big data and, uh, uh, you know, tech people. So I, I think yeah. that's what's going to happen. Actually, that's my prediction is we are in a journey right now to have a secular version of the psychological skills everybody needs to live an empowered life. And it's going to go in, it is it already happening, but go into these places because the person who owns that work site knows they get better workers. The principal who controls that school knows they get better students. 
the doctor who's taking care of you and know that you're more likely to follow a medical regimen, do a good job and, you know, not engage in behaviors that will give you the chronic diseases we get from behaviors like diabetes and weight problems and on and on it goes. So there's a lot of folks who are interested in health and there's a lot of knowledge about how to produce it. But I think we just have to stop just categorizing and throwing medications at it. We have to start looking at skills that will be helpful and, and teaching them to people in every opportunity that we have. You know, I think that's such a such a lovely thought that if someone is given recognition or rather feels recognized themselves more than by a group or accepted by a community or establishment, but if they if it works both ways where they feel that they are bringing something to um, I mean, their life means something or they're bringing something to a contributing to something and they recognized themselves and also by from the outside. The moment that happens, it just feels like they're, they know that they're worth uh, something and it just automatically adds so much more value to their existence, right? As opposed to the other premise, which is I'm constantly trying to beat down, break down the door and get into this club which I'm never going to get into and it's constant rejection which can really damage your your day-to-day -day existence um, but at the same time you know what um, you, you see sometimes with this this conversation around spiritual uh, seeking or this idea of meditation to an end it always people feel has to end with in a Zen garden with you know a halo around your head but <laughs> but what you've said is just the opposite. It's like it doesn't. It's it's not about doing any of these things to attain nirvana or to to be a higher being, which of course might be for certain more open and more aware souls. But it's to be here in the now and enjoy this experience with the body and the mind and the senses that come along with it. And that in itself is so powerful for someone to hear because I mean, just for me as well, who's read up a little bit on it, who might not be completely new to the idea, it's still just like, wow, it it isn't about going away to the Himalayas and sitting there and meditating for the rest of your life, being a sannyasi, but it's about continuing what you're doing, but just reversing the, the perspective, basically saying to the ego, you know what, take a back step or take a step away from this uh, prime uh, spotlight and the stage of my life. And kind of just reversing the, the the way you look at it and saying, you know what, I'm going to focus on this. And as a result, I'll automatically become more, how do you put it, more, 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 so integrated with my surroundings and society, as opposed to I'm going to work from the outside trying to fit in, uh, rather I'm going to work on the outside trying to bring this body into the, into the, into the fold, you know what I mean? I do. And, I, you know, I, I think we have wisdom within, you know, if you just take that perspective taking skill that's deeply inside meditation of noticing that you're noticing, you know, the, of this kind of simple awareness, period, end of story, that part of you is not saying, oh, I'm I'm only going to have good feelings, not bad feelings. It's mm. a really bad idea to go, I'm only going to have good feelings, not bad feelings, because every feeling has a place. If your mother dies, sadness is really, I wouldn't say what you want, because want means missing. You're not missing the sadness. But it's 
what is humanizing and uplifting. Because why? Because it's a direct connection to the love that you fe felt and feel. It's just another reflection of the same thing. You know, when you've experienced a loss of something that you love, it's painful and you're sad. It's just the other side of the same coin, right? And our mind says, oh, I only want a coin with one side. It doesn't come with one side. Mm. The only you can't way pick. Can yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we've been kind of trained to do, right? Pick happiness, choose choose positivity, stay positive, think happy. Yeah, sorry, just wanted to add to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the poets say this, you know, the Cleo Gabrons of the world or whatever, you know, that pain scoops you out like a melon and then in, into which you can pour joy. You know, it's not like we don't know it. And we even know it gut-wise, but our mind doesn't know it because mm. our mind is a problem-solving tool. But it's it's recent. You know, that problem-solving tool we're carrying around is a thousand times more recent than learning by memory of direct experience, for example. I mean, every species that evolves since the Cambrian learns by association and operant classical conditioning. That's 545 million years ago. That's half a billion years ago. <laughs> well, hominins have only been around, you know, a few million years. I mean, Homo sapiens, a few hundred thousand years. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing. It's nothing. And what you and I are doing right now is different from what the bird's doing outside the window. We invented this wonderful tool of mm. symbolic relational learning, but then it's turned back on its host. And so we better rein in the mind because it doesn't know how to rein itself in. It'll just give you more rules. So we have to find a way to sort of operate on the excesses of the human mind. And I think I think we're going to pull it off. I think we're making progress. It's just that, and I think science is advancing it. Um, but we 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 need to focus as a human culture on what uplifts individuals and how to put those skills into into our hearts and our heads and our hands. Fortunately, um, some of these challenges that we're experiencing uh, really don't give us much of a way out. You know, because let's say you really want to, you think, okay, here's how I'll do emotion. I'll only have the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, good luck when painful things happen where I mean, there isn't an emotion you can name that you don't pay money to produce. I mean, yeah. it's at that level, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah, hate yeah. anxiety. Well, you're riding the freaking roller coasters, dude. Come on. Yeah. They're going to the horror movie. They don't keep telling me you hate anxiety. What do you think you're feeling there? Yeah. No, what you mean is you hate this kind of anxiety that shows up out of your history. You don't know where the heck it came from. That almost seems to overwhelm you and define you. And it seems as though it so much limits your behavior that, that you know, your interests are threatened. Well, mm -hmm. as a panic disordered person in recovery, I understand that. But we had to earn our ability to be in that situation by our ignorance about how to handle emotions. Mm. I mean, my family, my individual history is full of that history. I mean, yeah. I know how I got to the point where feeling anxious was a life and death enemy, which of course then is something to be anxious about, which means anxiety is something to be anxious about. Good luck with that system. <laughs> it's self-amplifying. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you and it's a, as a result of brushing a lot of the the crap in your life under the carpet right you reject you reject you numb you numb you deny you deny and you and and that's one thing i want to go down yeah. uh, that path down um steve before we wind up today i want to just understand this whole conversation we have now about addiction whether it's drug whether it's alcohol whether it's prescription medicines whether it's social media and you mentioned that thing where people want to just project and people expected to project their best version their best side of themselves their strongest foot forward um and you complement um or you magnify that or amplify that with the ability to communicate real time across the world and you have this thing where you can't be disconnected from the grid and you have these phones that are constantly uh, now apparently controlling the mind as opposed to tools that we can use to enhance our lives so and then you throw into the mix artificial intelligence which are uh, uh, or ai technology which is supposedly going to take over the brain and take over the mind anyway all these things i'm just sort of throwing out there because these are things we hear often in conversations in arguments and then you have um this idea of distracting people by ideology by politics and then you have this thing happening in your country right now which is this real threat of you know two polar opposites who are just unwilling to come to the table no cognitive flexibility yeah. they don't listen they want to just hate on each other and um what happened maybe even with you know the the past few years in politics or even with the the, the entire thing so maybe let's not talk about the topics but let's talk about the 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 concepts which we just which i just sort of threw out there what do you project with um going forward um because everyone said like oh you know you 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 take too much medication as you said the 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 opioid problem um yeah. so how bad is it is it bad and where are we headed with this virtual um world the online community the and social media being one of the tools that facilitate these communities uh where are we heading as a society well it's spectacularly different mm-hmm. i mean and we're into uh you know human culture is changing at light speed because of the technological changes that we're facing and we don't put things like this back into the bottle you know that genius yeah. out of the bottle or that toothpaste yeah. is out of the tube or whatever metaphor you want to use <laughs> yeah and you know just speaking for myself i i don't want to give up my iphone yeah and I, I don't want to give up my my uh you know morning sit on the chair you know looking at what happened uh on, on my macbook yeah on the one on the one hand on the other hand uh the technology of learning how to attract and distract using big data is uh spectacular and a mm. little scary and you know because machine learning for example if you allow it to actually look at the each individual it's it's not like simply just a some sort of correlation or something no but the machine learning is uh fitting each person with a model that will predict what you do and with enough data to feed it it gets better and better and better and better and better over time you know this is one reason i own tesla stock but there will be full self driving it will be in a few years you just sit down it'll just say take me there and it'll take you there i'm i could be wrong this is not investment advice don't sue me <laughs> and on the way it'll also even tell you what kind of music you want to listen to or where you want to stop absolutely. to eat absolutely and doesn't it yeah. you know i live in a house and i i'm it's a little bit creepy but i owned a publishing company which had started 
to get some of my ideas out because they were odd enough that the normal publishers didn't want to publish them. So I said, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. we're going to make our, so back in 1986, I created a publishing company with my then wife and eventually sold it. It still exists. Contact press, new Harbinger oh. publication publishes. Uh, I think I did about 65 books, not just my own, but lots of other things that were kind of, a, kind of in a space. But because of that, I saw the earliest Amazon earliest. Mm. And I looked at what they were doing, and I said, oh, my goodness, they've got mathematicians working for them. Look at what they're doing there. They can say, if you like this book, you'll like that book. Yeah. And they're right. they're right. Yeah, I went to buy a stove when my wife and I moved to our apartment about five, six years back, one of these, uh, the Hobbs, right? And eventually, after putting that into my shopping cart, it said, if you like this stove, you might like these socks and i said how dare you i actually do like these socks <laughs> you know it was so disconnected <laughs> is that you feel a little bit embarrassed but it's by golly that's a cool thing i i do like that. let me put it this way if google search was a real person i would never want to meet her because it would be so embarrassing <laughs> well by the time they got the optimus robots you know with the human skin on them and so forth i don't know my friend we may be we yeah. may be in trouble it'll be sci-fi <laughs> movies and we'll be marrying the damn robots because they'll be feeding us so much uh, that they know that we like one at a time it's crazy but, uh, but know, yeah can you go back to that the tesla example that would be nice to sort of approach it from that autom autonomous uh concept yeah because if you feed these uh machine learning systems enough data and allow them to correct they're so flexible in the models they're generating. You don't go in there and say, oh, it's just a simple linear model or something. No, the, the, it's, a, it's an evolutionary process. It's variation selection and retention at a, uh, you know, at, you know at, a, at a software and chip level. Mm. And so you have these incredibly fast evolutionary processes that go, you know, where you, you get these S-shaped curves and, and you know, evolution is a pretty good, a complex systems evolve. That's how they work. They work by healthy variation that gets selected and retained and fitted to context. That's mm. true with you too. One reason why these psychological flexibility, it's not by accident that flexibility is in there, healthy variation, right? Uh, these processes are so powerful to people. Why? Because emotional and cognitive openness helps you get healthy variation. Mm. Awareness helps you to situate it to context values gives you the selection criteria what do i really want in my life committed action gives you retention because the way you retain behaviors in your life is repetition and building broader patterns and that's what happens when you commit and you do it and 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 that's true in a marriage and it's true in your mental health it's true in your job it's true everywhere yeah. well so getting out of your own way so that you can evolve at a complex system you know, we actually have now have tools. This is what I do with, and with my other hat on. You know, I'm I'm old and I'm hitting the end of my academic career, but I'm working for a, a large charitable organization that's developing these machine learning methods to apply to individuals one at a time. If people are just willing to take their iPhone and repeatedly say what's happening in their life, by the time we get to 30, 40, 50, 60 data points, we can say what's going to happen next. And we can say why things are getting messed up. And we can give little nudges about what you need to do to clean that thing up, you know. So we're kind of trying to do what Tesla's doing with full self-driving, you know. You can't make a fast left-hand turn with ongoing traffic. Okay, feed it enough data 
you know, allow the machine learning algorithms to make a suggestion, put it in a stack. I own a Tesla. I'm driving around. In the middle is a computer that is able to drive that car at the point at which the software gets skilled with eight com cameras around looking and literally taking individual photons and saying there might be something out there in the darkness. You can't do that with your eyes. And you're on a very slow gimbal called your neck, you know, <laughs> but that those cars have eight of them and they're moving really fast and it's, it's, you know, it's coming. And I think the robots are coming too. We better pray that, uh, you know, like the old science fiction writers, we keep them under control. Is but it a central mind actually, already that exists? Because if you look at this, what you just said, like the Tesla's central brain that learns and learns and then disseminates all this information to the to the, the, the smaller brains, which are in these cars, which use then their senses yeah. being the cameras. It almost sounds like that's what we are, human beings, right? There's a central Tesla human brain <laughs> controlling this human experience. Uh, Some people like thinking about it that way. Mm. If you do, though, you realize that the human brain is so far from ahead of anything that you can model, just in terms of the number of neurons and how they're connected. And it's not a simple machine. It, yeah. You know, if you want to try to think of the body as a machine, boy, it's one that is way ahead of where we are. But yeah. Yeah. Be able to we are with with our own machines, but we can mimic and model some of that. And I, I do think this is a very hopeful message in a way, because if we can take those things that are driving physical science and technology, and in almost every problem area we have, people look to the physical scientists to help, you know, whether it's climate change or, uh, you know, water systems or you name it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but so much of what we now need are the connections of human communities and psychological connections that will allow us to deal with diversity, to allow us to deal with immigration, to make those behavioral changes we know we need to make in order to rein in what we've done with these early years of uh, of this industrial age to our climate, and on and on it goes. You know, yeah. And I'm disappointed at this point. If you're watching a show, let's say on on climate change. Mm. Uh, there's no psychologist there. Mm. The first book mm. I ever wrote was called Environmental Problems, Behavioral Solutions. Because mm. although I'm a clinical psychologist, 45 years ago, I saw this coming. Everybody else did too. The first yeah. Earth Day yeah. and so forth. And we did nothing. And the book was all about early research, including my own, uh, showing that we can help people save energy, do a better job, etc. In In our uh, in the U.S. of A, if you get a bill, you also get a comparison to your usage a year ago mm -hmm. and how much are you doing compared to a year ago and last month. And the first study ever to do that in a randomized trial was my dissertation. It's now in every bill in the U.S. of A, not just because of me. There were two other studies that came out right about the same time. But I'm And I'm proud of that, but what I'm saying is we now need to catch up in which the behavioral scientists, the psychologists, etc., get off your kick about all these disorders and so forth, start thinking of processes that empower and disempower. Because it turns out the same ones that are empowering to people who have mental health struggles are there in dealing with diet, sleep, exercise, the challenges of physical disease. They're the same ones that are involved in, you know, winning a gold medal at the Olympics or running a business really well. I was at the Rio Olympics and literally saw people win gold medals with ACT coaches. Mm. I know that because I know the coaches and I know what they're doing. Mm. And it's all over coaching nowadays. 
Why? Because these same processes are helpful to people. And let's put it into our culture so that when people are talking about how are we going to get people to conserve or how are we going to get people to welcome strangers who have different languages or religion or mm. whose skin color is different or something, you know, that behavioral scientists can be part of it. I don't mean that we're God's gift and we have all the answers. Yeah. But some of these things like mindfulness, the place that we started, you know, that's really important. And if we're not going to get it inside our spiritual and wisdom traditions, we need to put it in our schools and our workplace and our healthcare systems as one example. And it will it help with things like climate change? Yeah, we, we actually know that. People who are able to step up to the challenge of changing your practices with regard to, let's say, how you run your heating and cooling systems at home, that includes some of these mindfulness skills and values and ability to commit to things. And so, I don't know, we need to get on the same page as a human community, all hands on deck. And I want the physical scientists. I want those innovations. I want those. In, yeah. But I also, you know, want the psychological equivalent of the Tesla self-driving. <laughs> You know, I want us to be working on how to hack the human mind in such a way that we can work on our own yeah. uh, kind yeah. of software. Yeah, yeah, that's updates. Fun. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, let's let's do a Mind 2.0. You Sounds know, because great. it needs an update. And uh, if it's not coming uh, through over the air updates from, uh, from my Tesla stream, maybe we can get it here in our podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. That sounds great, Steve. I love that line, principles to empower, not concepts to categorize. I think that's such a important thing to remember, even as an individual who's not a behavioral scientist or therapist or a psychologist. It's just you tell yourself that line and then you go seeking the right questions as opposed to just trying to be uh, boxed into something that someone else tells you that you where you belong. And exactly. so thank you so much. This has been, you know, usually these conversations leave me a little oh, you know, what's the point of humanity? But this today has really left me with a sense of hope. And thank you for that. I really, uh, it means a lot uh, coming from someone who spent so many years studying human behavior and the mind. And um, if people want to follow uh, or to reach out to act uh, sure. coaches, where, where can they do that? And maybe even want to read your books, where can you give them a couple of destinations they can head to? Sure. If they want to follow me, they can go to stephenchays.com and I'll send them a, a newsletter every month. Just click on yes, please send it to me. I don't spam. And if you don't like it, it's a one-click opt-out. Stephen with a V, middle initial C, H-A-Y-E-S. But if you're interested in psychological flexibility and ACT and things like that, you know, there's some really big things out there that are free. You don't mm -hmm. have to pay anything. You can Google ACT. You can Google psychological flexibility. If you want an example, the World Health Organization distributes a free act book and an audio tape in 28 different languages hmm. because they've done a whole bunch of studies on it. And the website, when you go there, says this is good for whatever stresses you out, regardless of your population or the problem. And hmm. uh, that's not me saying it. That's the World Health Organization. So don't bust me that I'm being too prideful. Yeah, uh, no, I think you can be proud of it. <laughs> I'm proud of it, but I'm saying I'm not saying that. That's what the World Health yeah, Organization the, Yeah, if the WHO is, is, is kind a little, of putting... And a, a link that will get you there, you know the, how bit.ly links work? Just yeah. put WHO all capitalized with the underline and then ACT all capitalized. And it'll take you right to the page. 
And it's right now being distributed in the Ukraine. It's being distributed in uh, Uganda with the South Sudanese refugees. It's being distributed in uh, Turkey with the Syrian refugees. You know, they're out there. Uh, and we know why it works. This is you should one thing people should come out of this saying, I want something that science says works, and we know why. Mm. And it turns out that these this kind of work, we know why it increases psychological flexibility. And that there's a brand new study out just this week showing with that World Health Organization cartoon book and tape. That's why. So if you need a therapist, another bit link link would be find and act therapist you had to capitalize the word find mm -hmm. and then act as act all capitalized but otherwise lowercase find and act therapist and there's uh, about nine thousand people in 48 chapters around the world including a very vigorous chapter in uh, india and right where you are there are really good act researchers mm -hmm. uh there at one of your major institutions and uh clinicians as well so um, almost where you are, who's ever listening to me around the world, almost wherever it is, that is an there are people who are professionals who can get you if you need that. But I like just getting people connected in community. Let's start there. You know, a self-help book. I did a study. Excuse me for carrying on, but no, uh, gone. my first self-help book, which was called Get Out of Your Mind Into Your Life. Uh, it beat Harry Potter for one glorious week on Amazon. <laughs> It was my 15 minutes of fame back in 2006, and it still mm -hmm. sells very, very well. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done studies with it. That one book does about 60% of what a course of therapy does. So you were asking me earlier, who can afford it and who has the time? Well, I'd say, can you read a book? Mm. Really? Do you have enough time to read a book? And here in the US of A, it costs 12 bucks. Mm. You know, and, and they're usually also in the libraries. So I don't know. I, it don't make it complicated. If something in what I'm saying resonates with folks who are listening, take action and find a place who will help you work on these uh, flexibility skills, whether it's called act or something else. I don't care about that. I just care about, you know, you learning to be more open, aware and actively engaged in your own life because that lifts up everybody around you and it helps the human community and we all know we got a lot of work to do. That's really well said, uh, Steve. I think, you know, it's it's been a real pleasure listening to the things you've said today and the ideas you've shared. And congratulations on all the work you've done um, over the past years. And good luck with everything coming up. And I really appreciate you joining me today. It, it was a great conversation. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Much appreciated. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.